welcome to this interactive online event, which is kindly supported by PGE, the Polish electricity company. We're here today to talk about cogeneration and district heating and their role in the energy transition. District heating, as you may know, is widely regarded as an enabler of the energy transition and decarbonisation because it helps bring heat to cities and it does so efficiently uh, with minimum losses using uh, pipeline networks. But district heating systems are still often fueled by coal and this is the case especially in countries like Poland. So how can district heating be decarbonized and how can cogeneration as the technology of choice to fuel district heating systems can transition to a coal-free world? To discuss this topic today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Robert Neu from the European Energy, Kaisa Rita Koskinen from Carbon Neutral Helsinki in Finland, who will be joining, I hope, in a few minutes, Paul Voss from Euroheat and Power, Hans Korteweg from Cogen Europe, and Piotr Schembor from PGE. Welcome to all of you and thanks for joining us today. We'll start this virtual conference with um, a few short opening statements uh, from the speakers and then we'll turn to a Q&A discussion uh, moderated by me with um, also questions uh, from the audience. To ask a question, just click uh, Ask uh, on Vimeo and I will try taking as many of those questions as possible. I think uh, that's all for me, so without further ado, let me turn to Robert Noy from the European Commission for an initial statement. Robert, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Frederick, um, and I hope that you can all hear me. Um, I would like to start by saying that for, for answering this question, I mean, the political context has become very clear now. We need to achieve 55% greenhouse gas emission reduction by 2030 and almost full decarbonization by 2050. And uh, to achieve uh, the 55% climate target, the Commission is currently working on what we call a Fit for 55 package uh, to try and align the various uh, instruments that support uh, achieving those targets to, to these new uh, these new ambition levels. <clears throat> Uh, for energy efficiency in particular, which is the area that uh, that I'm uh, responsible for, uh, this means an increase of the existing targets uh, by by 2030. And of course, as as we all know, energy being responsible for three quarters of the EU greenhouse gas emissions uh, and around 60% of that coming from heating and cooling, it's clear that this sector needs to uh, well has a, a major challenge over the coming years and decades. We nevertheless believe that there is still significant cost-effective energy savings potential out there uh, to, in, in the economy, uh, notably buildings, transport, industry. Uh, so this, this, is a, this is a challenge, but it, it is, according to us, feasible. And uh, we, at European level, will continue to work on measures that will drive that, uh, for example, in the area of eco-design and energy labelling. But it's also clear that efforts at national level need to be scaled up to achieve <clears throat> these more ambitious targets. And, and that is also why we are currently looking at revisions uh, of the measures and in particular of the Energy Efficiency Directive, where, which includes already measures for uh, district heating and cooling. Now, we had a public consultation in the context of the uh, preparation of that review, and that shows that many stakeholders consider that the current directive 
is not really capturing the existing heating and cooling efficiency potential to its fullest. Um, in particular, uh, looking at some of the details, uh, respondents say that the comprehensive assessments and cost-benefit analysis that uh, need to be made in order to, uh, to support the potential for efficient district heating have really lacked uh, follow-up implementation. So they might have been done, but they haven't really been followed up with proper implementation. It also showed that at local level, municipalities uh, need quite a lot of support in designing and implementing district heating and cooling networks appropriately. And, and we therefore believe that member states should do more at local level to drive uh, the, uh, the implementation and the follow-up of these comprehensive assessments. If we then look at the current debates on, on EU taxonomy, that also highlighted uh, the need to look again at the approach for promoting high-efficiency co-generation, uh, including in the context of the Energy Efficiency Directive. And that means that in the context of the revision and the new goals, the new ambition, we are looking at uh, our current definitions uh, around fuel neutrality of high-efficiency co-generation. Because I think we consider that for making co-generation future-proof, uh, we need to start looking at alternatives to carbon-intensive fuels. Uh, having said that, uh, of course, efficient district heating and cooling systems will continue and, and will have to play a, a stronger role in the deployment of renewable energy sources and in, in, in the pathway towards uh, decarbonization. And our aim is with the ED revision to support uh, that transition. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Robert. Uh, let me check now whether Kaiser Rita Koskinen is with us. I am here, no, I but unfortunately, hasn't managed to join uh, to join yet. So we'll turn immediately to Paul Voss from Euroheat and Power. Paul. I, 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 hi, Fred. I, I could actually hear Kaiser. I think she is with us. I don't mind going, but. Uh, I don't know if hey, I'm the sir, only one who. If, you, if you're with us, can you can you speak? Hi, can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Perfect. It seems. Uh, it it seems that. <laughs> yeah, it seems that I have some kind of a camera problem. So sorry about that. And you you cannot see me, but I am here behind the oh, black that, screen. Well, that that's perfect. Uh, we're here to hear you more than to uh, watch anyway. So please go ahead. Yes. So. Um, I'm um, representing um, Helsinki, which is the capital of Finland, and we have a very um, uh, strict uh, carbon neutral target. So we want to be a carbon neutral by um, uh, 2035, uh, uh, so within 14 years. And um, as um, Helsinki is a city which is located in very north part of Europe, so we, we have a lot of need for heating. So, and more uh, than 50% uh, of the direct emissions are actually coming from the heating. And that's, of course, you know, when we want to be carbon neutral, we have to focus on the heating. Uh, more than 90% of the building in Helsinki are connected to the district heating system. And uh, about 90% of the district heat at the moment is, is produced by burning uh, fossil fuels. Um, it's about 50% um, is, is coming from coal and rest is coming from the, the gas. And so basically at the moment we have a two uh, coal uh, combined heat and power plants and, and two uh, natural gas combined heat and power plants. 
And, and to make this even more uh, challenging, uh, the government of Finland, they made the legislation that um, the use of coal is not allowed on energy production after 2029. Uh, so it is even you know, faster than our uh, carbon neutrality target. Uh, many um, city in, in, in Finland, they replace a coal with a biomass. But as uh, the need of the heat here in Helsinki is so big, actually we are using a 20% of the district heat uh, in, in whole Finland. So it is, you know, very big there. If we, you know, just replace a coal by a biomass, it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge. It, it's going to start to reduce uh, carbon sinks of, of, the, of Finland, and that's why it's not possible. And to solve this problem, we, we launched um, uh, Helsinki Energy Challenge, which is basically a competition. Uh, our mayor promised to give a 1 million euro a prize for, for the person or for the university or the group who, who will solve the problem, who is giving that kind of a best option, uh, how to keep Helsinki warm without uh, burning uh, fossil fuels or uh, burning without uh, burning uh, biomass. So we wanted to get rid of, you know, the fossils and we wanted to get rid of the biomass. And actually, it was a, a big success, you know, it was, uh, you know, we got more entries than we ever expected. So we uh, more than uh, 250 different groups participated on the competition. We uh, select 10 finalists and actually uh, the prize was divided with uh, four different groups. And, and at the moment we are on the, on the process where we are trying to implement and where we are trying to um, uh, see that, you know, which, which uh, parts of the proposals we, we are going to implement to solve this heating problem. But there are a couple of very, that kind of, you know, a clear trends or the clear um, uh, ideas which were, you know, um, uh, basically in every, a finalist proposal and one of them is that the heating is going to uh, be uh, electrical so the electrif electrification of the heating it is a very clear clear uh, trend it is um, also that the, the future uh, of the district heating and, and and the heating in overall it's it's going to be a combination of distributed and centralized heat production so at the moment it is uh, very much you know we have a big power plants and uh, and and but in future it's it's going to change so i think that there are there will be a more uh, distributed uh, small scale production you know like geothermal and then heat pumps you know on on the on the on the on building level there are going to be a multiple actors on, on the field of heating. So it's probably not going to be just, you know, one big um, company who is, who is solving the whole district heating thing. And and, and the, the last thing, you know, uh, what I want to add here is that it's not only about the, how we produce uh, heating and heat. It is also, you know, how we use energy. So uh, energy efficiency is, is it's it's my favorite thing, and 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 it is going to play a bigger part of, of on on this um, on the on this big picture. But this is 
basically, you know, my uh, opening remark, and maybe we can continue discuss later. Thanks, Kaysa, uh, for setting the scene and giving this uh, uh, testimony of how it's being done uh, in Helsinki. Uh, Paul Voss, uh, this is now your turn. Hi, Fred. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm afraid you're going to find this quite repetitive because I think our views in principle align very tightly with what uh, the last speaker just talked about in practice. I mean, heat is obviously a really big deal. Some years ago when I started in this job, I spent a lot of my time struggling just, just to get attention for the question of heat within the, the broader energy transition. I think that that's, that's over now. There's a very rich discussion about the way we should heat and decarbonize our buildings, and that's great. So we talk a lot about the need for a, a new policy framework. Um, in many countries in Europe, um, we still heat our buildings by burning oil and gas in individual boilers or by using fossil fuels in, in district heating networks. The building stock's not nearly efficient enough, so there's a lot that needs to be done to improve the building stock so we don't need such high temperatures. Um, there's a lot that we can do around energy efficiency policies and tax and so on to incentivize the, the shift to more sustainable heating alternatives. Um, so that, that's one type of thing, and I'm sure we'll discuss the way that might be translated in the, the coming Fit for 55 package. But <clears throat> It's also true that, that district heating itself will, will have to change. I mean, I, I really like heat networks, as you can imagine. I've kind of fallen in love with, with heat networks because I, I believe that they solve this very difficult problem of bringing large amounts of decarbonized heat into our cities. Um, I know this can be done because I see it already in places like Copenhagen and Stockholm and elsewhere. So it's doable and it doesn't need any particularly exotic technology. It already exists. It's just a matter of putting it in place. But as you said, uh, the, the heat networks today, I mean, they, they, they vary widely from country to country and even city to city. But for sure, um, lots of them are still based largely on fossil fuels. And obviously, that's not consistent with the ambitions of the, the Green Deal. And obviously, that, that's not the future. I think coal is quite an easy one to solve um, just because the structure, I mean, the, the, the economics are such that I don't think coal has a particularly bright future. So you see that there's a lot of coal, for example, in district heating in Helsinki. Ten years from now, there won't be any. And I think you'll see that pattern repeated across Europe, of course, in some countries particularly, but not only further to the east. Um, it will take a little bit longer, but that transition's coming. Um, Biomass is a big share of renewables in district heating today, and I don't doubt that it'll continue to play a role. But as Kaisa mentioned, there are structural challenges that mean that I don't think we'll be able to increase indefinitely the, the share of biomass in district heating. So we're going to have to see other decarbonized uh, solutions emerge, and that'll be a, a mix depending on local circumstances. Um, I hope we can see a lot more use of waste heat from data centers and factories and whatever else. Um, solar thermal, geothermal, um, power to heat. So there's been a lot of talk at European level about sector integration the last couple of years. Um, that's great because actually district heating can provide cheap storage and we can pick up a lot of excess renewable production, use that to power big heat pumps or big boilers and, and provide balancing services to the grid while also decarbonizing uh, the thermal networks. Um, then the, the, probably the elephant in the room today is the question of, of CHP and specifically CHP on, on gas. It seems to me, I mean, there'll be other people who are more expert than I am in the question of the, the future of the electric grid, but I would imagine that we're going to need some um, gas CHP 
for balancing purposes in the future. Um, but obviously, that's not going to be acceptable to run those on, on natural gas indefinitely. So uh, I suppose that we're going to see a certain amount of, of green gas uh, CHP plants, uh, whether that's hydrogen or biogas, I guess it will depend on on local circumstances. But uh, I think the important message is that district heating networks uh, need to change, but they they can. I mean, we, we we see the technology already. The resources are there. It's a matter of, um, like with the energy transition generally, learning to accept the idea of shifting from an OPEX-based model to a CAPEX-based one, so that we invest in sustainable heat work networks today rather than spending on on fossil fuels indefinitely. If we do that, I see a, a bright future for the energy transition and for the role of um, of district heating and, uh, and to some extent CHP within it. I think that's okay for now. Thanks, Paul. Um, and let me turn now to Hans Korteweg from Cogen Europe. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Uh, I'll just start out a little bit about Cogen Europe in case you don't know it. We were obviously representing the cogeneration industry here in Brussels. We have over 60 members, 13 national associations and around 50 organizations spanning the, the entire value chain for the technology manufacturers users and consultancies. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the cogeneration committed itself to creating a, a more resilient, decentralized and carbon neutral system, uh, energy system by 2050, where we see CHP or cogeneration as its backbone. Um, to substantiate that vision, just uh, a year ago, Cogen Europe commissioned a study, an extensive study to look at the role of CHP in 2050. It uses the ambitious uh, commission uh, scenario of 1.5 tech, which assumes a high end use of electrification and significant demand reductions. Uh, the study found that CHP is a, a key enabler of a cost-effective net zero energy system, whereby optimizing CHP across electricity, uh, heat, gas uh, systems will deliver higher energy efficiency, uh, significant emission reductions, translating to uh, lower energy system costs up to 8 billion per year starting in 2050. Um, study also found that by 2050, CHP could deliver 16% of total electricity and 30% of total heat. Uh, in the case of district heating, uh, the study uh, concluded that CHP will remain an important source of heat, accounting for approximately 40% of the total heat supplied to cities through district heating. Uh, the, the study further concludes that uh, CHP is re relevant in uh, an efficient source of dispatchable power supply. I think this is important uh, in the support of electrification and where you see increasing shares, obviously, of variable renewables. Now, 2050 is 30 years down the line. I mean, today we're talking about 2030. So in the context of the, the Fit for 55, we see the energy se sector needing to mobilize to increase uh, its ambition. Um, for example, CHP has important potential to grow along the, the modernization of existing uh, district heating, especially in Central Eastern Europe, but also Germany, and then the deployment of new uh, district heating and cooling systems in countries like the UK and in Belgium. That will entail a phase out of coal of, in, in district heating and cooling, switching to low, lower carbon fuels, uh, and increasingly phasing in uh, renewables. Uh, a, prioritiz a prioritization of CHP over less efficient power-only and heat-only solutions 
uh, ensuring that CHP systems are renewables ready to avoid uh, a lock-in. Um, recognition of the key role of CHP in, in power grid stabilization, uh, complementing rather than competing, say, with heat pumps or waste heat. And then recognizing the key role in district heating, both in terms of local system integration, system efficiency, flexibility. Uh, we see CHP needing to be maintained as a key technology to en enable efficient district heating systems, while of course also prioritizing a switch to, to renewable fuels. Uh, accounting for the local context, of course, in terms of existing infrastructure and availability of energy sources, uh, as some of the speakers have already pointed out. I think I'll end it there. Thank you, Frederic. Thanks, Hans. Uh, and let me turn now to Piotr Schembor from PGE. Thank you, Frederic. Hello for everyone. Um, uh, yes, for the beginning, I, I present some some statement, PG, our our statement uh, um, for the beginning. The PGE Group strategy published uh, in October last year uh, presents transformation plan and path to achieve climate neutrality by 2050. But by 2030. The PG group intends to build 2.5 gigawatt of new capacity in offshore wind farms, 3 gigawatt of photovoltaics, and expand our offshore onshore wind farm portfolio, but at least one gigawatt. Uh, we we also are to complete our renewable generation mix by the construction of flexible gas-fired generation and by to replace coal with gas in our CHP plants. We will use gas as transitional technology in our pathway to climate neutrality. Uh, this means that gas-fired turbines, which we build today, will be able in the future to use CO2-free gases only. Of course, we will need access to funding uh, for our investment into CHP plants and related energy infrastructure, for example, of course, district heating networks. Therefore, from our perspective, it is important um, that gas uh, as transitional fuel will be recognized as environmentally sustainable. Otherwise, the costs of financing such uh, investments will be much higher and slower. Um, uh, soon, we know that Commission will propose new targets and measures to ramp up uh, renewable energy by 2030. At the moment, heating and cooling, and especially district heating and cooling, are the sectors uh, with already established renewable energy targets um, that member states should strive to achieve. District heating sector should demonstrate an annual increase of renewable energy share of one percentage point. We believe that these rates are for the time being accurate challenging and reflects uh, state-of-the-art when it comes to availability of renewable technologies. Mm. 
from our perspective, district heating systems and CHP units uh, being in the heart of them are at the moment um, in very difficult uh, position. On the one hand, there are um, actually limited technical and economical possibilities uh, to connect red heat sources to our district heating networks. On the other hand, uh, skyrocketing prices of emission allowances make it extremely hard to stash away funding for new targeted solutions for district heating networks. Uh, this trend will likely be even more significant with the upcoming revision of EUETA's directive. PGE provides heat supply for not numerous users, yet uh, in transitional period we cannot uh, simply move away from natural gas CHP but still need to comply with UETS. Uh, that is why when programming a new uh, heat market architecture, we believe it should strike a balance uh, between climate target and sectorial, technical and economical um, conditions, especially uh, wet incomes uh, to district heating uh, supply. Mm, thank you. Okay, thanks, uh, Piotr. Um, so we're done now with the initial round uh, of statements and we can go uh, directly to the Q&A. Um, and so let me start with this uh, question for you, Piotr Schembor. So uh, decarbonizing district heating um, in a country like Poland must be some big endeavor, uh, I guess. Um, so, have you evaluated the investment uh, needs for PGE uh, to decarbonize district heating and maybe even for Poland uh, as a whole? And, uh, and what alternatives are you looking at? Because um, natural gas, you mentioned, uh, is being considered, but um, it's probably not the, uh, the destination because uh, that is, is still um, a fossil fuel which has uh, carbon emissions. So have you quantified those investments and what, what are the options that you're looking at? Um, yes, we, we quantify and uh, actually in every, every our district heating systems, we, we try to switch from, uh, from coal-based heating systems uh, to, on the first step to, to um, CHP um, gas systems. Um, uh, we uh, we take into account that with the council conclusions uh, from from December last year, um, gas CHP remain an important technology with a significant uh, role in reducing uh, CO two emissions, especially in regions uh, transforming away from coal and dense urban areas. Mm, we think that natural gas uh, will allow us eliminate code generation um, in the most uh, developed heating distribution network in Europe and that we are uh, that we have in Poland um, and of course it uh, we see this such investment um, uh, give us possibility to, to improve uh, air quality um, uh, improve uh, quality of life of, of local citizens 
and of course it it give possibility to 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 cut very quick um, uh, CO two emissions even even by seventy percent when you switch from from lo local gas heat um, not efficient boilers to to efficient uh, CHP um, cogeneration. Um, and the PG Group strategy assumes um, that by 2030, more than 70% of sources in heat production will be zero or low carbon. Um, and after that, we, we plan to deploy CHP units uh, using zero emission fuels. All, um, and all investment decisions uh, for natural gas, uh, gas are to be made uh, by at least 2025 20, at least so so no no decision for for coal assets um, uh, soon final uh, the last final decision to to gas chp and then if if we have hope that will be possibilities to to switch to to hydrogen and hydrogen based fuel and um, of course uh, deploy more more renewables. Okay, uh, thanks for that, uh, Piotr Schembor. Maybe let me turn now to Kaiser Rita uh, Koskinen. Uh, can you maybe explain, um, it's a bit the same question I just asked to Piotr, uh, the um, um, first quantified investment needs to uh, get to your zero carbon target uh, that uh, you identified. Uh, so the amount of investments needed and the alternatives uh, in terms of technology uh, that you're looking at. So you said biomass was out of the question. So you're also looking to um, um, by electrification, in fact, because you did mention that. What do you mean exactly? Can you maybe expand a bit on that? Yeah, of course, you know, we haven't made, uh, you know, clear decision on the investments yet. So it's very difficult to say and quantify the exact euros but it is going to be a big investment it's you know it's not the cheap practice uh, it's very clear that uh, the big part of the solution it's going to be heat pumps from and they are going to pump heat from different sources so at the moment we are uh, looking for a geothermal a deep geothermal uh, um, seawater, heat, it's also a heat pumps. Of course, you know, that kind of, you know, waste heats from the industri industry and, 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 you know, from other sources, they are also, you know, on the field what we are looking for. And of course, you know, we understand very well that, you know, the best technologies today they are not the best technologies, you know, after two or three years. So we want to keep that kind of, you know, a flexibility on our plans so that we start to do investments now, but then we don't fix them, you know, that we want to keep that kind of flexible solution that we can change when there are better technologies uh, on the market. Of course, it's it's going to be that. But, but of course, uh, energy efficiency is very important. Uh, different kind of uh, demand um, control technologies they are going to so we are also trying to reduce the amount of the capacity what we need also what we are at the moment investing is is um, is uh, you know how to reduce uh, temperature network of the district heating network so because you know if you have to produce very high 
temperature on the desk, uh, on the water network, then it's it's not so efficient from the economical perspective for the heat pump. So of course, that's there are different, very many different kind of you know uh, technologies, and and of course you know the the also the energy storage storage technologies they they will play a big part. Okay, thank you. Paul Voss, uh, maybe let me turn to you now because you have, um, uh, I guess, a European-wide uh, overview of what it would take to, uh, to decarbonize district heating entirely. Is that something that you've evaluated in terms of the investment needs and the different technology choices that are available depending on uh, the different locations? Because I understand that different countries are running different kinds of district heat and, uh, heating systems running on different types of, of fuels. So uh, have you made a sort of a, a broad um, a mapping exercise uh, in terms of the solutions that are available and the investment uh, needs as well? Yeah, um, <clears throat> there's there's been a lot of work on this. I mean, I, I try not to do much of it ourselves because, frankly, I, I'm not a huge fan of uh, studies produced by lobby groups that tell a story about how, how much their technology can help because I always worry a little bit about their independence. Um, so we've, we've kind of stopped, stopped doing those. Um, but there's a lot of work that's been done um, in academia and by some of our member companies on um, what this might look like. I mean, the, the general sense that emerges is that right now, um, I think that heat networks have something like 12 or 13 percent of the thermal energy market in Europe. And... Um, the potential up to 2050 gets closer to 40%, depending on whose analysis you you believe. Um, I think that means building something like 15,000 new networks over the coming 10, 20, 30 years, um, which is an investment uh, that certainly uh, you'll, you'll count in, in the billions rather than the millions. But I, I mean, I, I tend to think it's money relatively well spent. As I said a few minutes ago, we when you build heat networks, what you're doing is spending on infrastructure so that you can stop spending on fuel because so much of the heat that we actually need is already available in our communities, either because it's renewable energy or because it's waste heat from our um, industrial activities. There's also a large benefit benefit that can come from densifying existing networks. We have networks in many, many cities, but they are small and run alongside the gas grid. So one of the things that I think is likely to happen over the next 10 years uh, and, and beyond is that you start to see the expansion of thermal grids as customers come off um, natural gas boilers and move towards heat pumps in more rural areas and, uh, and towards thermal networks. Uh, in part based on on heat pumps in in uh, in the more dense urban environment, so the the opportunities there, and I, I think sometimes we get into a. I think one of the problems of district heating has been around a long time, and there can be a certain dustiness associated with it because it's not brand new. And I often hear figures about um, spending on district heating expressed as costs. Whereas I hear talk of sort of billions spent on hydrogen expressed as an investment opportunity. And I think one of the things we should do ourselves is begin to talk more about the investment opportunity in heat networks rather than just the cost. Okay, thanks. Uh, let me turn to Hans Kortweg with uh, a similar question, just to get a broad overview of what uh, your estimations um, are. Uh, when it comes to decarbonizing uh, cogeneration 
systems uh, in Europe, the kind of investment needs that you've um, identified, and, and the main options that are being, uh, being envisaged in terms of uh, technology? Well, first of all, uh, I'd like to, to, to start with uh, what has already been decarbonized uh, for cogeneration uh, in, in the context of district heating and cooling. I mean, in the, net, in the past 10 years or so, uh, the CHP mix for fuel has undergone a significant transition towards uh, renewable energy sources. So coal has actually rapidly declined and renewable integration uh, share has actually tripled from 10% uh, in 2009 to 30% in, in 2018. Uh, Fit for 55 should foster system integration of, of gas, gas grids, decarbonization to ensure that CHP more rapidly decarbonizes. Um, that being said, even without a clear roadmap for renewable and decarbonized gases, we see industry taking the lead uh, on renewable CHP products uh, for district heating. Um, for example, uh, in the city of Kiel in Germany, uh, they were able to reduce their CO2 emissions by 70% just by switching from coal to flexible gas. Um, today, these 20 or so engines replacing the large coal plants can rapidly ramp up and down to compensate for fluctuating availability of wind and, and solar power. And this new business model provides high flexibility while maintaining high efficiency. Um, in the case uh, of <clears throat> district heating, the city of Hasfurt uh, in Germany has chosen uh, an interesting solution, an integrated solution, which includes uh, wind, solar, and electrolyzer heat pumps, uh, biogas, and a hydrogen-ready uh, CHP. So they're all optimized to supply the lowest carbon at the least cost heat and power to its customers. So CHP has added uh, a flexibility option in this case to run on zero to 100% on, on green hydrogen obtained from local renewables. So many of the existing CHPs in Europe can be refurbished at quite a low cost to accept varying shares of hydrogen. Um, our rough calculations indicate an abatement cost of around five to eight euros per ton of CO2. Uh, we have many examples of this in cities in Italy, Poland, where they're combining waste heat, CHP and heat pumps to reduce their emissions to increase the, the energy performance of their um, district heat, uh, district systems, excuse me. Um, to sum up, I think uh, district heating carbonization goes hand in hand with district heating modernization and greening of the fuel mix. Uh, I think uh, the phase out of coal is, is clear, just it's a matter of when, not uh, how. Uh, in some cases, switch to natural gas as a transitional lower carbon fuel, increasing renewable decarbonized gases. In other cases, a switch to renewable sources were available, including biomass, heat waste, geothermal, solar thermal, hydrogen. But I think what's important is irrespective of the energy choices chosen, I think energy efficiency must be put first, and which is why CHP must be prioritized in our view. Okay, Thank thanks. Thanks, uh, Hans. Uh, let me go back to you, Paul Voss, about um, you mentioned um, uh, CAPEX, um, our position to OPEX. Uh, I mean, uh, financing infrastructure when it comes to district heating is always uh, the big challenge because um, uh, 
there's a big upfront cost um, which is needed to put the infrastructure in place. So how do you typically cover uh, those costs uh, currently in your industry? And uh, how can you uh, possibly further encourage those in investments to take place? Can policymakers, for example, uh, help in any way? Um, or does the market uh, work by itself? Of course, 15 months into this and I'm still muting myself. <laughs> um, yeah, for, I, I, I don't think that a, a lack of um, money is, is the biggest problem in the world right now. I mean, there's money slooshing around everywhere. I think people are rather struggling to find um, places to, to put it. I think what is a bit special about district heating is that the, the risk profile is is different um, from what you would find with a, a typical renewable um, electricity project because there is this, uh, particularly in, in markets where you don't have um, zoning which sort of declares that such and such area is going to be district heating. Um, you know, you can talk about building a district heating network, um, but it can be hard to be absolutely sure that the customers are going to be there once it gets built. and, and that that can complicate things. So I, I think the biggest problem that we have is um, political visibility and, 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 and certainty that gives investors the, the confidence that they need to go ahead with projects like this. I think you know the discussion around um, heat in Europe right now is, is 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 really lively and rich, but I think it's it's still very unclear what's going to happen. So that. Um, we'll need to resolve this question basically of whether we're going to go on heating our buildings with individual gas or not. Um, if we're not going to, then uh, it begins to open up enormous opportunities for, for heat networks and, and heat pumps. And I think there, um, what uh, Robert said earlier um, in his initial remarks about the importance of more serious work on these comprehensive assessments at national level on the potential for, for CHP and heat networks and more support for local authorities in their own planning work um, would be huge hugely important in unlocking capital because once you have the certainty that the customer base is going to be there, then finding the money to support the, the construction of infrastructure, I, I, I don't think that's a difficult problem. We need to resolve our political problems, get a clear vision about how we want to heat our building stock in the future. And, and I think from that point, the uh, investment case takes care of itself. The, the big issue we have right now is a lot of fuzziness around what's the future of heat in Europe. And uh, the sooner we get that resolved, the better. And the bigger role we give to local authorities in determining their own futures, uh, the, the, the better that will go. Because heat in the end, even though I like to discuss it as a European issue, there's a heavily and inherently local aspect to it. So cities will need to be given a leading role in this. Okay, thanks. Uh, let me turn to you, Piotr uh, Schembor. Um, I mean, Paul Voss said lack of money is not the biggest problem. Uh, is that something you would agree with? I mean, uh, you did say, uh, after all, that the, uh, the financing was a, a big challenge uh, from your end. Mm, thank you. Thank you, Frederick. Uh, uh, I think that there is uh, a lot of funds for, for renewables uh, heat sources, but some often conditions are 
not um, uh, properly uh, structures um, uh, we uh, they are too low um, uh, sub uh, intensity uh, intensity of of uh, support usually there is a, a loan um, so we always uh, prefer um, a donation and um, uh, for for biggest utilities as as we are uh, the the share of um, support is uh, less intensive the, than for smaller um, renewable producer and um, uh, we see in the pipeline uh, as well a lot of a lot of funding like modernization found uh, innovation found uh, we we try to try to ask for 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 even due to due to um, due to deep decarbonization pathway we we try to try to ask for for even higher a modernization fund uh, but but we still still waiting for uh, right now for for final final decision of um, state aid uh, regulations and what will be um, what will be requirements for um, for 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 our project when we uh, send application because uh, right now money are are in uh, are are are, um, are prepared but uh, but uh, we we see that it's hard uh, hard to 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 receive it for example uh, there is support for for bio um, for 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 biomass plant, but we see uh, some some risk connect, connected for 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 sustainable uh, um, biomass requirements. So so it's huge huge risk. What what will be price of biomass when when uh, there will be uh, less uh, biomass on on the market on biomass will be much higher than then this this is the risk for for capex and long term uh, su supply of of uh, such biomass when uh, of course there is there is uh, there is uh, finance for for it depends on 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 countries in in Poland we have we has have support for CHP plants but uh, but um, but some some requirements are uh, are uh, not not see uh, how how fast co2 emissions even for for gas CHP they, they grow very fast and uh, and uh, in the same time the the costs of of uh, technology grow very fast so so is the risk that if we receive some support and and start investment and of course there is a risk for for gas as well for gas prices uh, so operational risk uh, from the operational costs um, in this uh, this type on investment um, uh, is as well um, and bio um, uh, renewable energy sources we of course can can uh, can invest uh, in 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 other renewable energy sources like uh, like uh, solar heating or heat pumps 
but uh, usually it uh, um, it not good solution to for for really large big uh, uh, heating system like for example Krakow, Gdańsk, uh, Warsaw, because uh, because you we can can or you can don't uh, um, you you can build a whole district heating based on on such uh, such uh, sources so rather rather we always try to try to build one one um, main um, heat sources based on on chp high efficient cogeneration and then we try to find uh, find funding for local uh, local renewable solutions and of course we we can find it and we we, we always use it but as i said it's not for for whole system rather rather local local solutions for for smaller part of district heating uh, areas Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Piotr Schembor, a, a question coming from uh, the audience here asking um, about the switch to hydrogen because you did mention uh, that uh, it was a two-step approach in a way where you're trying to switch your district heating systems from coal to gas and then after that from, from gas to hydrogen. And the question is how do you ensure that this hydrogen is not produced from fossil fuels? Uh, because the supply of green hydrogen uh, is going to be limited. Mm -hmm. Yes, we, we have hope that uh, that uh, hydrogen in gas networks will be uh, green hydrogen or, or hydrogen which not will based on uh, on fossil fuels. This is uh, we have hope that that it happens because. Uh, uh, because uh, only only green hydrogen give us a solution and give us opportunity to fulfill uh, renewable uh, heating uh, requirements. We know that that uh, in, in the climate target plan there will be rather higher higher renewable targets, uh, forty percent by twenty thirty, and of course uh, we will need have more more uh, more renewable heat as well so we have hope that uh, this hydrogen will uh, which will be in in the district uh, in the um, gas pipes will be renewables and and uh, uh, of course we we have hope that there will be regulations um, which gives clarity uh, and opportunity to to mainly use uh, green hydrogen in 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 our networks and of course it's complicated uh, complicated system how to introduce guarantees of origin or ppas for for such fuels to guarantee that that we will uh, burn um, green hydrogen so so i think it's a, a huge challenge we we sh we strongly support development of hydrogen economy and increase green hydrogen in gas network and uh, so, so I think it's a rather regulatory challenge uh, mm -hmm. uh, how how to fulfil this application. Thank you, Piotr Shambor. It's a regulatory challenge. So let me turn now to the regulator, uh, and that would be Robert Nye uh, from the European Commission. 
Um, so decarbonizing district heating, we see it's going to be quite a bit of a, of a challenge, uh, but also opportunities, of course, because district heating is, is an efficient way of, of distributing uh, heat. So broadly speaking, what are the kind of um, investment mechanisms that uh, you have uh, available uh, currently at the European level uh, and the regulatory incentives uh, that you have in place and what further steps uh, is the European Commission looking at uh, as part of the coming Fit for 55 package to try and accelerate this uh, transition away from coal? Thank you. Well, uh, that's a, a very wide-ranging question. Um, I think that, first of all, on the regulatory side, as I mentioned, I think in the context of the um, EED revision in particular, so energy efficiency, we're looking at the provisions uh, that are currently in place for heating and cooling, uh, district heating, to see uh, how they can be beefed up um, in, in view of the, the feedback that we've received also from stakeholders. Um, and uh, I mean, this is also a challenge for us uh, to, at the European level, we've heard from several uh, of the speakers that um, that this is a, a local issue uh, very often, uh, that it, it's uh, at city level uh, or regional level. Uh, and, and we are trying to see how, from a European perspective, we can create the proper framework and support uh, uh, measures and instruments to support uh, further work at, at those levels. Uh, that probably means, uh, and I'm speaking again for energy efficiency, uh, you know, not not a, a very sort of binding approach at this point in time, at least from from the European perspective. Uh, also, in the renewables directive, uh, we are looking at heating and cooling, of course, uh, and uh, and also there we will see a strengthening of the requirements vis-à-vis uh, -vis the introduction of renewables uh, in, in, in uh, for example, in district heating. When um, we look at investments there, well, it's good to hear that money is not a problem, uh, which is good. But of course, from a European perspective, we are uh, providing funding. And I think that the biggest uh, sort of uh, source of funds that is coming available is through the um, recovery and resilience facility that uh, has been put in place. We are currently looking at the, uh, the plans that member states have submitted to us and checking them and seeing if they comply with uh, with, with uh, the requirements for for those plans, uh, and I think that member states can can definitely use the money available, which is of course you know more in some member states than in others, to also support uh, district heating. Um, there are uh, further funding. There's InvestEU. There is, of course, uh, still a lot of funding coming through the operational programs and and, uh, uh, and the way member states uh, use that money also. So I think, indeed, I would agree that if there is a willingness at member state level and at regional level to uh, to apply, to use the available funds also in the area of district heating and co-generation, then and that is perfectly possible, bearing in mind that we, we really have to move towards uh, uh, you know, fossil fuel free, ideally uh, heating, um, and, um, and and that is a challenge as we've heard. But uh, but but we believe that uh, also given the long term investment uh, horizons of, of some of these investments, one needs to start now in moving in that direction because otherwise we end up with a lot of sunk investments in in areas where where we don't want them. Thank you. 
Okay, thanks. Um, uh, let me turn to um, uh, Kaisa Rita Koskinen. Um, uh, we just heard uh, from the European Commission that there were funds uh, indeed that are now available uh, through the, the recovery plan. Um, of course, each country sets up uh, its own demands uh, based on, on, on what are the, uh, the local needs. So is that something that you've considered uh, personally um, in, in Helsinki to tap into those funds to try and, and strengthen and uh, uh, extend the uh, district heating network and also finance that transition uh, away uh, from polluting fuels? Yes, of course, you know, cities are always interested when there is money available and then we are, you know, having a discussion with the with the government to use that uh, money to, to, because, you know, as I said, that the solution is probably going to be on the, on the heat pumps, but they are a new technology still. And, and of course, you know, it's, it's a little bit more expensive at the moment. And we hope that, you know, we can use that money to, to, to co cover or to sub subsidize a little bit that, you know, the extra, extra cost of the new technology. So, but yeah, we are interested and we hope that we get some money from the government for, for that purpose. Um, there's another uh, source of funding um, potentially uh, this time coming from private sources uh, which um, will eventually become available um, uh, thanks to the green finance taxonomy uh, trying to flag which investments are green and I think district heating systems are actually recognized under the taxonomy as being green investments. Um, do you see this as uh, helping um, in um, you know, finding the, uh, the, the investment sources that are needed to um, upgrade your networks and switch uh, away from polluting fuels? And I'm putting that question to you, uh, Kaisa, uh, again. Yeah, actually, um, our system, you know, the network itself is, is very you know, modern already, so it is in very good shape. So we probably don't need uh, so much money on the network, but it is, we need money, you know, to change the transit, transit the, the, how we are producing the heat. And I, and I think that, you know, on, on that help, on, on that side, we need uh, the private investments and the, the private operators to, to come and, and help us, uh, for example, to, to provide heat to the network and that's what we are really really interested but it's it's not only the big big uh, investments it, it's also you know um, at the moment in Helsinki the many of housing associations they are very interested about the geothermal and they are investing money to to chains to heat pumps and so it's it's not only the big investors it's only the also the private persons who are interested on on this opportunity. Yes, and so uh, do you think the taxonomy will actually help those people find the, uh, uh, the investment uh, necessary? Um, my understanding is that it's, it's uh, the, the investments they make already economical sense. So uh, at least for the, the buildings, the housing associations here in Helsinki, it's not difficult to get uh, money from the bank. So actually, they don't need a taxonomy at the moment. So because, you know, it, it, it's the investment 
which makes economical sense. It pays back. It pays back very quickly. It is very good investments, you know, already without any 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 subsidized or any any taxonomy thing. So it is, you know, um, wise investment. And and bank banks are very happy to 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 support and give a loan. So, but of course, you know, it depends here in Helsinki. The the price of the houses they it's very high and so the houses they have a value and and um to energy efficiency all kind of energy efficiency or the or the geothermal heat pump investments are very you know um profitable so it of course helps and and that's the difference even in in different part of finland it's it's the different story but but here in Helsinki, it's 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 really not a problem Okay, thanks. Uh, Paul Voss, let me put the same question to you. How do you expect uh, the, uh, the green finance taxonomy to, to influence uh, the, uh, the discussion about funding for the, the transition uh, industry, uh, district heating systems? Do you, do you expect some big impact from, from that? Or, or, or do you see this more as rather uh, limited because it already makes sense currently? And Paul Voss, you need to unmute yourself. God, that's annoying. Sorry. Um, no, I think it's 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 important. District heating, not all district heating is particularly desirable. District heating. You know, I I used to say, you know, even bad pizza is still kind of good, but it's not true of district heating. And and I think it's important to be able to distinguish between district heating that needs to either be kind of reinvented or just scrapped, and district heating, which is highly desirable because of the the various attributes we've been discussing. And I think it makes sense to have a, a mechanism in, in, also for for finance to distinguish between these two things and to say, well, this is the the type of district heating that we'd like to support, and and this not now i mean it's it's a messy business uh, this taxonomy one of my colleagues follows it a lot more closely than i do but i see that it's it's challenging and so that i really support the idea in principle in practice i see that um, it's 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 difficult to figure out quite where to to draw these lines and if i've understood properly the discussion about gas and how gas fits in has been sort of kicked into the long grass for now and that's quite normal it's because it's it's a struggle for people to work out quite where to position it i mean gas is obviously going to have to play an important role in district heating in the wider energy sector at least through through 2030 but it's also true that we're going to have to move either well beyond fossil gas anyway uh you know in in the period between 2030 and 2050 and so i think it's it's difficult to see exactly what to do with gas and similarly with with biomass for the reasons we've discussed but for district heating itself i mean for for the networks for things like improving network performance and investing in, in thermal storage um i think it's really useful that these are explicitly characterized as uh green friendly investments and I, I do think that it will it will encourage and channel investment into the right sort of district heating in the coming years absolutely okay thanks uh, Piotr Schembor maybe let me put that question to you now um, are you happy with the proposal that's currently on the table with uh, with the taxonomy do you think it will help drive those investments into less polluting uh, district heating systems Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that this regulation will support 
support uh, stronger deployment of renewable energy sources uh, uh, everywhere and in district uh, heating networks as well. Um, um, I think as well that uh, it's uh, not not because because banks uh, will give uh, cheaper money to investor, but because there will be hard to receive uh, money for for dirty uh, heat uh, sources or, or uh, uh, not sustainable technology or such such money um, lending such money will be will be more expensive so so um, it will support um, in this way and of course no one want to invest uh, in in projects uh, which are um, which have high financial costs and taxonomy uh, will uh, which will introduce such a model um, of course um, it's uh, it's important uh, it's important regulations to to give uh, financial institutions and uh, and investor investors uh, clear uh, clear um, information what what investments are better and what are uh, what uh, for what investments will be uh, harder to receive um, financial support so so definitely it will support uh, renewables deployment in district heating networks Okay, thanks. Uh, same question to you, Hans Korteweg. Um, are you happy with the taxonomy proposal that's uh, currently on the table? Do you think it will accelerate the transition? I think it's a, it's a mixed bag of results, unfortunately, as, as already referenced by a number of the, the speakers. It's a highly politicized process, unfortunately. I think uh, the intent and, and the instrument be, can be quite effective in terms of uh, steering the right investment uh, to to help decarbonize district heating and, and co-generation. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as mentioned, uh, gas and nuclear energy has been sort of set aside or kicked down the road for another day. I would have liked to see everything included in one delegated act. We're very much in favor of a system-based approach, so looking at everything together instead of looking at, unfortunately, in silos as as perhaps we had done with the clean uh, energy package. And now with, with the, the European Green Deal and the Fit for 55, we're, we're trying to look at everything holistically. But that in, in the case of the taxonomy, we, we seem to be going in the opposite direction. Um, the, the draft delegated act uh, that will be well, finally adopted at the end of May already includes a provision recognizing the role of renewable-based CHP. So that's a step in the right direction. But unfortunately, the, the role of gas uh, has been postponed. And I think we all can agree that gas or natural gas will have a short to medium term role as we move to decarbonize between now and 2030 and ultimately net carbon neutral by 2050. So it's an important instrument. It's highly politicized. I would have liked to see everything in one regulation. It is a step in the right direction, but I think more can be done. And talking about steps in the right direction, there's the big Fit for 55 package coming up in July. So Hans Kortweg, what would be your own expectations for that? Um, again, in order to accelerate transition in, in this sector? Well, I think well, we first have to 
recognize that CHP is an efficiency technology, which enables uh, the significant reduction of uh, energy consumption for all thermal energy sources available. Uh, in the case of this discussion, the, the speed uh, of coal phase out is impacted by many factors that are very much political, so rather than the technical or economic. So regulation is important. What we need, of course, is uh, stability and, and long-term uh, thinking, and maybe 2030 is just around the, around the corner and maybe not enough forward-looking. But in terms of the Fit for 55, I think some important aspects that need to be considered, uh, especially when it comes to energy efficiency and, and that relates to CHP specifically, but also has an impact on, on, on district heating is the importance of primary energy savings. Uh, we, we tend to look at uh, final energy savings in terms of buildings, and, and that relates to, say, micro-CHP and, 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 and district heating. Uh, we we leave out a large chunk of the whole value chain, so we're not looking at everything at once, and supply-side supply efficiency is also important, and also in terms of reducing losses from transmission. So we should be looking at looking at everything holistically, but from the perspective of primary energy savings. Final energy savings is, is important, don't get me wrong, it's important to, to insulate buildings, it's important to have uh, triple glazed windows and and LED lights, This no one disagrees with that. But in terms of, you know, uh, increasing the system efficiency, you know, things like primary energy savings needs to be taken more uh, more seriously. The energy efficiency directive looks it gives member states for example the option to choose whether they want to measure their uh, energy savings from a final energy perspective or a primary energy perspective i know it's rather technical but i think it's important to to, to stress i think um uh in terms of well uh the role of, of gas and, and the, the role of how renewables can play in the context of uh, district heating and cooling. Uh, I think gas is just like electricity, it can be renewable. Uh, natural gas can be a transitional fuel and, and we need the right indicators in the Fit for 55 to, to, to enable uh, investments in that direction. Okay, thanks. Let me turn uh, to Piotr Schembor, maybe to get your views about expectations um, um, around the Fit for 55 package, which is coming up uh, in a few weeks now. Yes, we're waiting for, for this package because uh, we're waiting for, for, for clarification in many our investments there is still a lot of doubts uh, how final requirements will look like how uh, what what final requirements will be um, even even for for renewable energy sources which are now possible like like biomass uh, like uh, like uh, waste uh, incineration uh, plants which use uh, as well a part of of biomass uh, what will be um, requirements uh, for for hydrogen um, investments? How uh, how will be covered uh, operational and investment uh, costs? What will be um, what will be um, requirements for for emission uh, for for 
CO2 emission, EUTS emission directive. And um, so, so, uh, and what what will be requirements for uh, high efficient uh, district heating systems? So there is a lot of doubts uh, about final uh, final um, regulations, and and it will be influence on on our investment portfolio and how uh, how we structureize uh, uh, such uh, investment. So. Uh, so we have hoped uh, we're waiting for just waiting for 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 this regulation and we will won't see uh, final fi final um, final uh, final regulation in this field okay thanks uh, let me turn to Kaiser uh, Rita Koskinen um, I'm not sure you're following uh, these Brussels matters in, in any kind of detail, but if you had kind of a wish list for policymakers uh, here in Brussels who are working still on this upcoming package of legislation, what would you single out as being the, you know, the, the two, three things they should be doing in order to, uh, to help uh, decarbonize district heating and co-generation? Yeah, actually, I only have one, so I'm an easy, uh, easy, easy person on that perspective. So, I really hope to see a clear target for uh, zero carbon, because um, at the moment I, I think that you know a um, lot of this. We are using a lot of time to discuss, you know, uh, if the natural gas is a good investment or bad. But when I read, uh, the, for example, the IEA report published beginning of this week, you know, it is very clear, uh, you know, that we have to get rid of all fossil fuels very quickly. So if we want to, uh, you know, to stay under a two degrees path, you know, we have we cannot burn a lot of uh, forests because we have to increase. Uh, carbon sinks instead of you know uh, reducing them, and that's why I think that you know it it would be make everything so much easier if if there is a clear message that okay the carbon neutrality is not enough fifty five percent is not enough, but you know in future we have to be a zero carbon, and you know at some point we have to be negative carbon, and I think that it 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 would be you know. Re save a lot of time from <laughs> from a, a little bit that's kind of you know uh, unnecessary discussion about you know about you know what what is really um, the policy and what what is the the direction where we should go and and I really hope that you know if not in this package but in future the EU is able to to get to make that kind of very clear statement that okay by 2050 or by 2060 we have to be a zero carbon not only carbon neutral so but maybe can do this you know <laughs> <laughs> single-handedly but uh, uh, let me point out i mean there was uh, there was an agreement only recently uh, actually to uh, to reach carbon neutrality um, uh, by 2050 so th there is that long-term perspective uh, now do you think that's not enough? No, I think the carbon neutrality, it's... Uh, you need to unmute yourself. I'm not actually... Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. Uh, 
carbon neutrality is a little bit different thing comparing to the zero carbon because on, on carbon neutrality you still have an option to compensate on your emissions but you know what what i mean a zero carbon is that you really you you cannot compensate anymore and that's that's a quite big difference comparing to the carbon neutrality okay Yes, uh, indeed, and there was no agreement on that. Uh, it's true. Um, I think we're getting um, uh, close now to uh, the end uh, of uh, this online event. So uh, before we close, I'll do a, a last round among um, all our speakers to basically state if you had one or two key messages that you would like our viewers to take home with them. Uh, what it would be, and uh, maybe I can stay uh, with you, Kaiserita, uh, for that. Maybe you can start. Yes. Um, today we have heard a lot of uh, discussion about the transitional uh, fuel and, and you know, a natural gas is transitional method. But I, I think that you know, when you are looking for the research on the climate change. We don't have that kind of luxury for a transition, uh, transition, transition period anymore. So it was like a 30 years ago, but now we have to get rid of uh, fossil fuels fully, quite quickly. And so, especially in the in the energy industry where the quartal is at 25 years, you know, it is very important to to make the right decisions now. Because, you know, if we at this point of the climate change, if we start to invest on the fossil fuels, even if they are not as bad as coal, you know, it is for sure, it is going to be a bad investment. And so I think that we should, you know, start to look at kind of future proof um, solutions. And, and it is difficult. Everything is uh, difficult at the beginning. But, you know, at this point, we have to do it. And, and this is maybe, you know, my um, statement for, for this discussion. So it is possible, it is, but the district heat system, it has benefits at system, systemic level and we, we should utilize them. But, you know, if, if we utilize, you know, district heat system to, um, you know, prolong um, the burning of natural gas, it's, it's not the right way to do it. Okay. That uh, was clear. Paul Voss, uh, the key message that you'd like our, our viewers to take home with them, what would it be? Yeah, I'd agree. I think we have to hurry up. Um, when I started working on these kinds of things, 2050 sounded like, like science fiction. Uh, and now it's sort of a long-term infrastructure planning horizon. So it's the decisions that we make in the next 10, 15 years that will determine where we are in 2050. It's not science fiction uh, anymore. And that's why this upcoming package is so important. I think that by 2030, we, we need to have already set ourselves on a path to completely reinvent the way we heat and cool our buildings. And that means um, we're gonna have to do it without without burning stuff in time. That 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 has to happen uh, and uh, i'm looking forward to the negotiations on this new package i hope that by 2022 or 2023 we see a framework in place that that we believe is is credible and ambitious enough to get us there okay thank you piotr shembo your key message uh, for today thank you because i represent uh, here 
district heating operators. Um, I think that uh, that we should uh, remember that that cogeneration uh, give us a lot of opportunities in this uh, pathway to carbon ne neutral uh, Europe and um, give us opportunities to to store storage uh, energy in in very efficient way uh, give us opportunity to faster deployment of uh, renewable vari variable renewable energy sources give us opportunity to to very fast cut uh, co2 and other emissions um, uh, in 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 economy and in our cities and uh, give us opportunity to efficient use uh, fuels uh, when you compare to to electricity produce only and heat produce only so cogeneration should be definitely um, uh, on on our uh, in our view when we think about fast uh, fast um, uh, decarbonization of our economy. Thank you. Okay, thanks. And uh, Robert Noel, you have the privilege of closing. Um, so what would be your main message uh, that you'd like your viewers to take home? Uh, I think Hans might be uh, also still uh, looking to say something, but I'm, I'm happy to go first. Oh, anyway. sorry. Sorry, I forgot you, Hans. Please go ahead. Your key message. I'll be. Uh, CHP is is a very efficient way to convert one unit of energy into to heat and electricity. In the future, we're going to still need heat, and we're going to still need a lot of electricity. Uh, today, CHP uh, renewable is around thirty percent, as I mentioned before, and that has tripled over the past ten years. Uh, we. We also have to recognize that uh, today CHP only represents around 16% of heating and cooling in Europe and an additional 15% of heat is renewable. So that means there's still about 60-70% of heating and cooling in Europe that is neither renewable or efficient, consisting mainly of inefficient gas and oil boilers. So in part of our as part of our decarbonization process, we we need to make sure that we, we utilize uh, energy in the most efficient way possible as we move towards uh, a net carbon neutral and perhaps in the future, as mentioned, uh, a negative uh, carbon system. Thank you. Okay, thanks. And now to you, Robert Noe. Thank you. Um, yes, I, I mean, it is difficult. There are many messages, but uh, I would say that um, uh, it's clear that both uh, energy efficiency and an increased share of renewables have to go hand in hand uh, going forward towards uh, uh, carbon neutrality uh, and, of, and for sure towards uh, net carbon or zero carbon. Um, I think the Fit for 55 package and, and what will come even beyond that uh, because we will have further measures, for example, on the EPPD, uh, but also on gas de decarbonization later in the year. Uh, will will provide an important impetus to uh, to drive that, but uh, the Commission proposals are really just the start, and the negotiations with Parliament and Council will start, and 
if there is a message, uh, it is also to, to, to the people around the table and, and the audience is to, to actively engage in that debate, uh, both at, in Brussels, uh, but uh, even more importantly at national level, because it is uh, MEPs that go back to their constituencies. It is member states that have uh, uh, national constituencies. And so it is very important, I think, to uh, bring... Uh, your voices also to the table uh, in those discussions, so that um, so that also stakeholders that have to implement much of this, which, as we said, is at, at local and regional level, have a voice in this debate uh, that will take place uh, maybe largely here in Brussels, but it should actually also take place at uh, at local and regional level and in, in the member states. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, I think that uh, wraps up today's event. Uh, a big thanks to PGE for supporting it. A big thanks to our speakers, of course, for joining us today and to our viewers uh, for watching this debate. If you've missed the beginning, you can watch the entirety of the debate again uh, online. Uh, the video will be posted soon uh, on YouTube. If you'd like to know more about upcoming events at Euractiv, you can check the website events.euractiv.com. We have actually many more coming up uh, in the coming months. Um, I hope to see you again soon, uh, of course, and in the meantime, take care, stay safe, and bye-bye.